The national anthem of the Maldives begins Wayscan today. Welcome to Wayscan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 744 for release on Sunday, May 28, 2023. On Wayscan today, the radio scene on a garbage island in the Maldives. AM radio news, amateur operators wanted in the southwestern United States. The second part of our interview with Dale Stagg of Reach Beyond Australia and our ancient DX report for 1929. The independent nation known as the Maldive Islands is located in the Indian Ocean, 400 miles from India and 400 miles from Sri Lanka. These picturesque, lonely tropical islands are actually a series of coral atolls, more than 500 miles long, though less than 100 miles across, with a total population around half a million. The Maldives are made up of 2,000 coral atolls, with a total land area of less than 115 square miles, though only 200 islands are inhabited. Here's Ray Robinson now with the radio scene on garbage island. Thanks Jeff. The Maldives are not so well known to American tourists though hordes of European tourists flock to these almost idyllic tropical islands in charter aircraft to escape the harsh realities of the long northern winter. Here away from it all they swim in the limpid clear waters and bask in the tropical sunshine and then they return to their northern homeland with a suntan that's the envy of their less fortunate friends in Europe. When you fly into the exotic Maldives, your first breathtaking glimpse of these fascinating islands will become a vivid, lifelong memory. As your plane descends out of the clear blue sky, you'll see small tropical islands covered with lush green coconut plantations, the clean white coral sands surrounding each island, and the shallow green at the waterline blending into the clear blue waters of the deeper ocean. As the plane manoeuvres for landing, you'll see from the left window of the plane the capital city island, Malé. It's a different, though fascinating, capital city, such as you've never seen anywhere else in the world. As you view this clean, tight little city from the air, you'll see that it's nowadays connected with four nearby islands by overwater bridges and a causeway. The name Malé is the local name that was derived from the Indian name Mahal, meaning palace. The national name Maldives, in the local Divehi language, means the islands of Malé. As your plane makes the final approach for landing on the nearby airport island, it seems as though breathtakingly it's landing in the ocean. The long runway commences on Hulule Island and extends out for half of its length into the ocean. Only when the plane has landed can the passengers see the runway itself from the side windows of the plane. Just four miles west of Malé is Tilafushi Island, which is sometimes designated as Garbage Island. This island was one time simply a narrow empty lagoon, five miles long, located between two low-lying sandy ridges. But on December 5, 1991, the Maldivian government passed legislation enabling the lagoon, known as Tilafalhu, to be landfilled with garbage from Malé and all the other islands throughout the nation. 
Thus, an artificial island was gradually created as all forms of garbage were dumped into the lagoon. Initially, huge pits were dug into the lagoon and the recovered sand was used to build retaining walls. All forms of garbage were tipped into these pits, including industrial waste, household wastage, broken plastic and metal, useless leftovers and also hazardous waste such as old batteries, strong chemicals and expired medications. In recent times, the toxic hazardous wastes have leaked into the nearby waters, causing environmental damage to the ocean and also to some nearby land areas. In addition, the smoke from fires on Garbage Island has been a source of annoyance to residents on nearby islands, though in more recent times the fires have all been extinguished. Each day, more than 300 tonnes of garbage is still dumped onto Tilafushi Island, resulting in an estimated daily increase in the size of the island by 10 square feet. Now to Radio Maldives. Here's part of an interval signal they use with various bird calls, including a household chicken and a white-breasted water hen native to the Maldives, known locally as Canbilly. It's followed by the sign-on of their music channel, Radio Rahi, in English. English service of Raja Radio. The time now is 5 p.m. Welcome to the English service of Raja Radio. After a long time, we are back with the English service. Uh, but we have not yet started the programs of the English service. By the way, this is Minus joining you on the English service today. We're going to be having a request program for the next one hour until the English news at 6 o'clock. And you, any one of you can join up. 3340606 is the number to call. Lines are open now. You could request for an English, Hindi or Devahi song, any type of song that you like. The English service is going to start um, this term's programs in just a couple of days very soon and we've got very exciting programs lined up so stay uh, around with Raja Radio if you want to listen to the English service every day from 5 to 6. Radio broadcasting in the Maldive Islands began in 1960 and for the following half century or more all of the radio broadcasting facilities were located on the capital city island, Malé. However, four years ago work began on the construction of a new medium wave station and as we indicated it was located on Tilafushi Island, yes, Garbage Island. The new medium wave station with 25 kilowatts on 1449 kHz was constructed and installed by Nortel, headquartered at Hackett's Cove, Nova Scotia, Canada. Funding for the new transmitter station was provided by a grant from the Japanese government. 
the four-mile-long programme feed across the waterways from the production studios is probably via an FM transmitter on Marley Island. The original planned date for the inauguration of the new medium-wave transmitter for VOM, the Voice of the Maldives, was December the 29th, 2019, the 57th anniversary of their first official station. And indeed, the station was noted in Norway via a remote online receiver two days later, on December the 31st, 2019, and again elsewhere in Scandinavia with another remote receiver a few days later, on January the 8th, 2020. The new VOM Nortel transmitter with 25 kilowatts on 1449 kHz on Fushi Island replaced the 10 kilowatt transmitter on Marley Island on the same channel 1449 kHz, which had been off the air for almost a year before the new transmitter was taken into service. This new station is listed correctly in the new 2023 World Radio and TV handbook as VOM Marley with 25 kilowatts on 1449 kHz. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Ray also forwards us some late-breaking news about AM radios in cars. On May 23rd, Ford Motor Company's CEO announced that it had decided to reverse its decision to eliminate the AM or medium wave band from the radios in its vehicles as of the 2024 model year. This came after a group of U.S. congressmen and senators introduced legislation that, if passed, would require AM radio coverage in new vehicles and at no extra cost. One of the bill's co-sponsors said that eight out of 20 major automobile manufacturers had previously decided to remove the AM band from new vehicles, especially electric vehicles, which can create extra static and interference on the AM band. And Ford said their figures showed that only about 5% of drivers listen to AM in their cars. The company said that internet radio, among other things, could replace AM radio. But U.S. lawmakers said that AM radio has an important role in providing emergency alerts and information during natural disasters, for example, especially to rural areas where FM signals may not be receivable. And they said that a lot of people don't have access to the Internet in their cars. Groups, including the Federal Communications Commission and the National Association of Broadcasters, expressed their support for the legislation requiring AM radio in cars. The lawmakers said they would continue to push for their legislation that would require AM in cars, and they hope other car makers will follow Ford's lead in that regard. Incidentally, there are hundreds of low-power highway advisory stations, or traveler's information stations, throughout the United States that operate on the edges of the AM band, providing traffic and safety information and general information for visitors to national parks, for example. Scott Marcy at WRMI spotted an announcement by the Safety and Emergency Management Department of the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. The Mayo Clinic is a large hospital organization in the United States. The Mayo Clinic in the U.S. state of Arizona is looking for volunteer amateur radio operators to assist with communications during emergencies when official communications are unavailable. The clinic says that amateur radio is a powerful communication tool and an important part of emergency response efforts.
This is Reach Beyond Australia. Greeting our listeners in Myanmar. Ludim nun radio thot chimna ben kanin don Zoom tu asive chang kaumi pathian ni thin lung chunga chiang Last week on Wayscan, we had the first part of an interview with Dale Stagg, CEO of Reach Beyond Australia that we conducted with him during a recent visit to Sydney, Australia. Today, we have the second part of that interview. Give me some idea of, of the, the Kununura site, how, just how rural is it? Mm. <laughs> uh, it's, look, it, it is an amazing place. It's located in the, in the Kimberley region of Western Australia, far north uh, of Australia. It's, it's quite remote. Um, it uh, has two seasons, wet and dry. Uh, so your monsoon or your wet season running through from November to February, March, uh, and then come April, um, it starts to uh, cool down a little and become dry. So there'll be three, four, five months of the year in in that region or in Kununurra where our site is where it'll be blue skies and 30, 30 degrees, low 30s Celsius mm-hmm. every day. Um, and the, the, uh, the landscape is just incredible. Uh, there would be similarities to some of the landscapes you'd see in the States, uh, yeah. Jeff, but that red dirt, you know, spectacular hills, uh, waterfalls, yeah. uh, it's, uh, and it can be very hot uh, during the dry sea, uh, the wet season, a lot of rain, high humidity, uh, days on end of 40 plus degrees uh, every day. Uh, so, but it's, it can be, it's incredibly beautiful, uh, no matter what time of the year you're up, you're up there. And it is a, where we're located is a key tourism hub, uh, particularly for the dry season. So a lot of what we call grey nomads, that, I don't know whether you've heard that term, but the grey nomads, the retirees, or hook up the van or um, get into the mobile home and uh, off they go around the top end of Australia. Uh, well, if you're going to do the the northern part of Australia and then come down the west coast, which takes you down to Perth, well, you've got to come through Kununurra. Um, mm. it's, uh, there's no other way. Um, and so Kununurra sees a huge influx of tourists mm. uh, during the middle of the, tour, the, the dry season, particularly around June, July, mm-hmm. uh, where it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's heaving, as they would say, mm. um, heaving. Uh, but you've got to be very careful as well. I mean, the main drag in... Well, the main highway, Victoria Highway up there. Now, if you broke down and um, you wandered off the road, uh, you wandered off the road even half a kilometre, um, that might be the last time we see you uh, because you can be 200 yards off the road, turn around and not be able to see where you came from uh, because the scrub is so dense. Uh, and you may not see a car come through for, for a long time and a combination of the heat um, and the just the rugged landscape mm-hmm. um, people still go missing wow what, what about wildlife in the area uh, yeah. Uh, yeah the wildlife up there is uh, again incredible the uh, the bird life is spectacular 
Uh, you're getting up into an area where you've got things like goanna and various types of lizards, um, wallabies, um, kangaroo, of course, uh, right across Australia. Uh, but of course, the big one of the big talking points up that area is our crocodiles. Uh, that uh, we've got two two types up there, and where we where we're located in Kununurra, there's a there's a diversion dam wall uh, that holds the uh, man-made lake back, and so. And below the wall uh, has saltwater crocodiles in the river and above the wall has fresh freshwaters, or we call them freshies. Well, you've got to watch the salties because the salties can grow extremely large and they're incredibly aggressive. Mm. And uh, they won't stop to think through whether you're human, whether you're a cow or what have you. Um, so they, they populate a lot of the rivers up there in that area and... So uh, from that point of view, the wildlife has to be respected, highly respected. And, of course, being Australia, uh, Jeff, we've got a lot of uh, venomous snakes. And so up around the Kununurra area, it's not unusual for you to stumble across a, a snake. Um, some will give you a nasty bite and make you pretty crook or sick. Um, some, uh, you know, things like the, the red belly black snake, for example, highly venomous mm. and you need to know how to respond to a snake bite and yeah. get yourself to medical care pretty pretty quick. Wow. Uh, so beautiful countryside, amazing wildlife, but you've got to be be aware of where you are because it can be very dangerous as well. So your personnel stay pretty much pretty close to the transmitter site? Yeah, we have uh, on our original 200 acres that we were given uh, years ago, there's housing there for our staff, mm -hmm. and so they uh, they stay on site. And we have volunteers come up during the year for various periods of time from all over Australia. Yeah. And they are just a welcome addition to our team. Uh, we couldn't, couldn't do without the volunteers that will come in and uh, might be retired farmers, might be people just willing to give a hand in some way that bring a certain skill or ability. It might be helping us clean our, our accommodation facilities there because we do have... Yeah. Uh, we do have uh, seasonal farm workers come in and stay on our property uh, during the year as well. Uh, it could be helping to pick mangoes. We have mango trees on our property. Uh, so we, at the moment we have 300 trees um, and sometimes it's a struggle to pick those mangoes when they ripe because, ripen because November's the wet season is starting so everyone's leaving town to get out of town before the wet, the wet comes. Um, so very grateful for our volunteers. Some bring some incredible technical ability mm -hmm. and they can help out our team on the transmitter facility. Mm -hmm. Others uh, just want to, want to help and will do turn their hand to whatever we require. Mm. Uh, now, Dale, uh, Reach Beyond sponsored the, um, uh, the HFCC conference in 2015. Mm. Uh, and you're doing it again this year, for 2023. We are really excited about that, Jeff. It's like, wow, eight years uh, just flown by. Uh, right. And so, yeah, Brisbane was, uh, is a, almost a dim, distant memory, but uh, this time a little bit south of Brisbane on the Gold Coast, mm -hmm. uh, very close to the beach, the Gold Coast Beach. So I hope we have some, hope we can put on some incredible weather for you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for, for talking with us, Dale, and, uh, and I guess we'll see you again in, uh, in the Gold Coast. You will indeed. Yeah, looking forward to it, Jeff, and uh, good to be able to see you here in Sydney. That was Dale Stagg, CEO of Reach Beyond Australia. We spoke with him recently in Sydney. 
We're sorry to have to report that Tom Lucy of the International Bureau of the FCC, the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, passed away on May 16th after a lengthy illness. Tom was perhaps not well known by shortwave listeners, but he had a great impact on them indirectly, as he and his colleague Shauna Preble were in charge of frequency coordination for all privately owned U.S. shortwave stations for many years. Tom took part in many NESB, National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, and HFCC conferences around the world over the years and had many friends among the international broadcasting community. Private shortwave stations in the U.S. submitted their seasonal frequency requests to Tom and Shauna, and they would approve them and pass on these requirements to the High Frequency Coordination Conference. In recent years, Shauna took Tom's place at the HFCC conferences, but Tom continued working at the FCC's International Bureau, dealing with station frequency requests on a regular basis. Shauna Preble continues to work on frequency coordination for the private shortwave stations in the U.S. She said, Our hearts go out to Tom's family and friends. He was a kind, thoughtful, and intelligent man. His memories will never be forgotten. Those will always remain with us forever. May his soul rest in peace. For my part, I can say that Tom will be greatly missed. He was a very kind and soft-spoken man who was a pleasure to work with. He was able to resolve frequency collisions and was well-respected by the U.S. and international shortwave broadcasting communities. Now let's go back to Ray Robinson in Los Angeles for our Ancient DX Report for 1929. We begin our ancient DX report for the year 1929 down in Antarctica during the first South Polar Expedition with Commander Richard Byrd. Half a dozen ships carried 650 tonnes of supplies, 95 sled dogs with 40 tonnes of dog biscuits, 61 people, 3 airplanes, 24 radio transmitters and 31 radio receivers, though the main ship in the Antarctic was the City of New York. The rendezvous point before direct departure to the southern frozen wastelands was Dunedin on the South Island of New Zealand. Two ships, the City of New York and the Eleanor Bolling, carried two transmitters each under the American call signs WFBT and WFAT. The radio call signs for the three airplanes were WFS, WFB and W8X and the main base station at the Ross Shelf operated under two call signs, KFK and WFA. Commander Byrd's main Antarctic station, WFA, communicated regularly with the New York Times station, WHD, in Morse code, and also in speech with the three American shortwave broadcast stations, W8XK, which relayed KDKA, and W2XAD and W2XAF, which relayed WGY. When needed, station VK2ME in Sydney, Australia, relayed transmissions between the Antarctic and the United States. Local communication traffic was carried between WFA and two Morse code stations on South Georgia Island, at Gritviken and at Prince Olaf Harbour. There were several interesting radio events in the radio scene in the United States during the year 1929, and these included, on March the 4th, radio coverage for the inauguration of President Hoover was broadcast live over 118 medium-wave stations in the United States, and also on several of the shortwave stations. 
On March the 23rd, Aviatrix Amelia Earhart read letters over W2XAF that were addressed to the Bird Expedition in Antarctica. On May the 8th, New York medium wave station WRNY presented a special broadcast over their shortwave station W2XAL honouring the transfer of the station from the Experimenta Publishing Company to the Curtis Aeroplane Company. On August the 12th, a parachute jumper with a 2-watt, 25-pound transmitter in his backpack made a radio broadcast as he was descending to Roosevelt Field. The programming from Medium Wave KGO in Oakland, California, was relayed by the new experimental shortwave station W6XN. The shortwave transmitter W3XN at Whippany in New Jersey was transferred for use on medium wave at the new WLW located at Mason, north of Cincinnati. And the American naval radio station NAA at Arlington, Virginia was on the air with three broadcast transmitters in parallel on 434 metres or 690 kilohertz for local coverage, 6120 kHz for North American coverage and 9550 kHz for more distant countries. In Canada, the maritime coastal station VAS at Louisbourg on Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, carried regular information for fishermen at sea, on medium wave and on short wave 28 metres. The significant radio information included weather updates, storm warnings, local and international news and other forms of important information. Over in Europe, a Thanksgiving service at Westminster Abbey in London for the recovery of health for King George V was broadcast on shortwave and then relayed on medium wave throughout the United States. On December 20th, 1929, the first broadcast on shortwave from Konigs Wusterhausen in Germany was also relayed throughout the United States. And in Holland, shortwave station PCJJ was redesignated just as PCJ, and PHOHI became PHI. Likewise, station RFM in Kahabarovsk in Siberia, on 70 metres, changed call to RA97. In Australia, programming from medium wave 3LO in Melbourne relayed on 9500 kHz, and medium wave 6WF in Perth relayed on 9120 kHz, was heard regularly in the United States and in Europe. And finally, a radio listener living at Mount Kisco in New York reported that he could hear the programming from nearby medium wave station WBZ from a kettle on the stove containing two inches of boiling water. Music from a kettle of boiling water? That must have been a historic version of hot music. (laughs) Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray, for that hot news. Australian Aboriginal didgeridoo music ends WaveScan today. Thank you for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the radio scene on an American garbage island and our Japan DX report. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in California, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, 
and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Mm-hmm.